Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, this time yesterday I was in a really good mood because it was pouring down with rain. If we'd recorded the pod then, I'd have been chipper like anything, but now it's horrible and sunshiny. As always, Kieran, you... I was going to say, you bring a cloud into my life and cheer me up, but that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm, I'm irritatingly cheerful, as always. You'll be you'll be delighted to know. I'm always delighted to know that you're cheerful, Kieran. I, I, you're like a Dickens character. There's nothing can shake you out of your cheerfulness. Well, actually, some of the news stories this week might shake well, yeah. you out of the cheerfulness. Mm. It's um, uh, 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 our prediction that perhaps in the summer, some of the news might get better is... Uh, optimistic, uh, but there's also a news story tucked away here, Kieran. I I think it's gone under the radar a little bit, but I think it might be one of the most significant stories we've covered for quite some time mm. on the pod. When we get to that, it's about a broadcasting deal which no one else really seems to be talking about. We interviewed uh, Paul from uh, uh, Reading FC supporters group, Kieran, um, and things are clearly not good at that club. But it's almost like the owner of Southend United heard that and decided to uh, to raise him several points in the in the poker game that is playing with a football club. Yes, um, it's it's two red lights and one green. I would say in respect mm. of Southend, um, we've said this before. Ron Martin likes to play a game of chicken with the authorities in terms of not paying tax. I don't like that. I think it's unprofessional. Mm. Um, but if I'm honest, the tax authorities eventually, if they get their tax, then it's it's an annoyance. Um, when it comes to people, it's different. Mm. And by all accounts, uh, people have gone unpaid at Southend United once more as far as their June pay packets are concerned. And we're recording this on the 5th of July, so we don't know whether they've been paid since. Um, and the players have said, well, why why should we be treated in such a manner? And they've effectively gone on strike. Yeah, they've mm. said, well, we're not going to turn up to, to training. Uh, you know, if you're not prepared to do your side of the bargain and pay us, why should we keep our side of the bargain? And yeah, the tragedy is, is that 
The National League fixtures were announced today and Southend United fans, doesn't matter what division in, doesn't matter what league you're in. Um, when fixtures come out, you always rush and you start to put things in diaries and you're looking for some of the, uh, you know, some of some of the matches which have got more excitement, you know, due to for, for historical or, or cultural reasons than, than any others. And Southend United fans are doing this with a heavy heart because mm. it is uh, it is a poor show. Um, there is a potential loss of players due to to breach of contract. You know, we, we saw a player move out of Southend United earlier this year. How on earth the manager is going to be able to recruit players? Because we, the first thing you you think about when you move into a job, and let's be honest, yeah, the money. Um, a, how much is it? And B, there's there's always an assumption that it's going to be there at the end of each month. And mm. with Southend United, that sort of toss a coin. So, so that's that's why I say uh, two red lights. But there's there is one green in the sense that I believe that uh, conversations are taking place between Ron Martin and an organisation called the Kimura Group, who seem to have some form of connection to Ray Winston. Um, who, who apparently his nan used to live in South End, so he's got a tenuous link with the club. Okay, I'll just, I'll just stop you there. His dear old nan, dear old nan. Sorry, yes. <laughs> um, so, so he says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for this, and you know, clearly he, he's a man with a bit of uh, gravitas, and the. Uh, you know, the local press have picked up on this, but he says, "I don't want to be a director," which, which actually, I can, I think, it's quite wise. Yeah. Um. There, there, Ray. But I, I went on to my very good friends at Company's House, as you can imagine, um, and had a look. And uh, the Kimura Group, um, they've only got a, a turnover of about two and a half million pounds a year, so it, it doesn't appear to be a very big organisation. And then uh, Ray Winston said there was a bit of a conflict of interest with something called Integral Sports Management. So again, I go on to Companies House, I look up Integral Sports Management, um, and it's got three employees. So it, i just not sure where this particular takeover is going in terms of where are these uh, potential uh, new owners getting their funding from. Um, so so that that is sort of a downside, but... Uh, I'm sure South End fans have have reached the point, and I suspect many of the staff have done as yeah. well. In the sense of, uh, yeah, anybody apart from Ron Martin, and of course, we, we've been there on many occasions before. Yeah, we've seen that with Wigan, we've seen yeah. that with uh, you know potential things at Rochdale and and, and other clubs whom we might even mention later in the show. So um, there's 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 other things which do concern me, which, I, which I'd rather not talk about because I don't want to prejudice anything. But it, it's it's not it's not good at all. Um, but the one thing I would say is, is we have been there before and eventually he, he always seems at the, uh, you know, in injury time to, to find the money to pay off the next instalment that's due to HMRC. But it, it, it's not a clever way to run a football club. Mm. How's that company spelt, Kimura? Uh, K I M U R A. Oh, okay, right. So not as in the uh, uh, mafia's implacable opponents in southern Italy. Okay. <laughs> no. uh, you mentioned the, the staff, Kieran. We we don't know at the moment whether it's only the players that have gone unpaid. 
But if, if it is the staff that have also gone unpaid, they don't really have the option of walking out, do they? Of, of, yeah, we spoke about this with, with our, our Reading fan the other day. We've mentioned it before. The people who work at football clubs tend to be fans of the club. They w- would be within their rights to withdraw their labour if they weren't paid for a third month on the road. But it's it's kind of easier for, for players to, to do that because players also know that they... I've got a 99% of getting a move to another club anyway, which the staff have, have not got that certainty at all. So it's always with the staff that you feel more sympathy than, than anybody else. Well, of course, you sympathise with the players, but it's much harder for the people who work at the club, Kieran, isn't it? It is. And, and let's be honest, the majority of people who are working in the back office at Southend United are Southend United fans. Exactly. have got an affection for that. And um, yeah, I, I know enough about football to know that they will be on third quartile or fourth quartile wages uh, mm. in terms of uh, how much they're being paid. So they're, they're, they're on not great sums to begin with, and then they're not getting them. And like it, all of us, you know, standing orders, direct debits, the summer's coming up, you know, people want to, you know, in football, you'd hope that most, they, most will have had a break by now, but uh, it, it just takes things away from when you're starting to gear up for the, the new season directly or indirectly. Mm. However pressure or otherwise um, Ron Martin is feeling, Kieran, and I'm going to try and keep the introductions to the rest of the pod uh, as straightforward as possible because I mixed enough metaphors in the introduction to the South End story to last for three pods, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, but <laughs> you sounded like a, a, a cartoon character. You sounded like a bit of Woody Woodpecker. Leading up to, um, however, pressure or or not, Ron Martin is under. He, he's in a happier place at the moment than the owner of Fleetwood Town. Yes, um, and yesterday we, we're recording this on the Wednesday. Um, on the Tuesday, um, I'd been invited to the National Crime Agency, and they were having a conference, which is sort of the Joint International Crime Centre conference in respect of organised crime and disorganised crime in sport. Um, And for reasons best known to themselves, um, I'd I'd been asked to to talk for 90 minutes. So I gave this this talk to the the delegates, and there were people there from Europol and Interpol and uh, from HMRC and and many uh, crime organisations across the world. Sadly, nobody from AC12, which I was really hoping for. (laughs) But you can't have it all. You can't have it all. Kira, are you sure this wasn't an elaborate honey trap trying to find out where Uncle Terry is? The finest minds in European policing thought, well, there's only one shot. Maybe we can get him through. We can get him through Kieran. Send him an email <laughs> saying, we're not FIFA, we will pay you. <laughs> oh, they didn't pay me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I asked for cash. And they were sort of oh, that'll, be, that'll be why then. <laughs> yeah, probably why. Um, so so I, I, I gave this talk, and sort of the, the central theme of the talk was. Why do so many untoward people buy a football club? And my argument was that it gives you kudos, it gives you credibility, it gives you legitimacy, it gives you influence as well, because people think, rightly or wrongly, that if if you own a football club, you've got quite a high standing. Um, 
So I'd, I'd finished the, the talk at, at half past three, and uh, you know what a nerd I am. I, I did 89 minutes and 30 seconds mm. um, of, of, of it. Um, and then uh, as I was leaving, uh, somebody says, uh, have you seen this? And uh, Andy Pilly, who is the, the owner of uh, Fleetwood Town, now he did resign. Um, as a director in in May has has just been put down for thirteen years yeah. for fraud, and this is quite an elaborate uh, activity uh, in terms of uh, sort of energy contracts and so on. A lot of people have, have lost out, um, and you know it, it is a story we, we covered at the time. I think when he was was found guilty, but I think everybody's been taken aback by the severity of the sentence. And uh, it, it doesn't reflect well on him. And some people have said to me, "Well, hold on. Yeah, what about the the owners and directors test?" Well, yeah, I don't think. I think when he acquired the club, it was it was pre that date. But mm. how how would the EFL have any knowledge with regards to his uh, his fraudulent activities? Although you know there have been some people uh, alleging that he's he's uh, he's had his collar felt before. Um, so what what's happening to Fleetwood Town? Um, yeah, the club the club's been losing a lot of money, and Andy Pilly, um, through his other companies, has been subsidising these losses. And this is something which I'm always concerned about in in respect of what happens to an individual club when the owner's circumstances change. Yeah, we saw that. Yeah. At Wigan recently, and uh, yeah, yeah, the owners come in for a lot of criticism. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many people are aware that, that his son tragically died, mm. um, and and he just lost all interest. And, and yeah. I can, you know, and you know, as, as as dad, we we can, you know, we, we we our heart goes out for anybody that goes through those circumstances. So that that didn't help, and then. Yeah, there's been other owners whose personal circumstances, or they just lose interest. You know, as as happened with Mel Morris um, at Derby. So uh, at, uh, Andy Pilly has been subsidising Fleetwood Town, and now you wonder, well, how is it going to be funded in future? The club has effectively been transferred to his children, who were appointed as directors in March. Whether they have the facilities and the resources to, to to, to subsidise, and it, the club's probably losing around about forty grand a week. You know, we're, mm. we're talking big potatoes here. Um, so, so that's that's where we are. But he had a higher profile because he was one of the ninety-two, and and that's the benefit that football brings, and it it, it therefore attracts like a moth to a flame. You know, the likes of Matt Southall and Lawrence Bassini and Steve Dale and and. Uh, others who uh, we, we could we could spend a long time listing them. It also <coughs> owns a club in Ireland, didn't he? Or did Waterford? Is that right? Yes, yes, he did, and, and that had caused some consternation because I, I think that there was uh, conflict between the sort of the two sets of fans, not not between them directly, but if he's putting money into our club, why is he also putting it into yours? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why can't he put more money into our club to to make it go further? And and trying to work out the benefits of that. Um, were were complex, although yeah, that that for all we know could be you know, another one of the the consequences of, of Brexit, where you can't transfer young talent uh, across the water uh, at the ages of sixteen and seventeen due to you know loss of freedom of movement. Where the EFL stand, Kieran, on on Andy Pilly's fraudulent activities 
is an interesting one. They would, they would probably argue that there's nothing they can do until he was proven guilty. But certainly, I mean, Private Eye, for example, have been exploring, shall we say, mm. what he's been up to for quite some time. So it was in the public domain that this was being investigated. A, a lot of people, a lot of small businesses have gone bust because of the fraudulent contracts he locked them into for their energy. So there, there surely is an argument that, the, that, again, the EFL should have been keeping a closer watch on this, and perhaps you don't have to wait till someone's proven guilty, do you, when it comes to saying they're still not uh, worthy of owning a football club? Even if you reach that conclusion, what do you then do? Because how do you force somebody to sell shares in a company when you've already approved them to to buy those shares in the company? So I I think uh, the EFL are on a sticky wicket, um, uh, uh, unlike the uh, Australian uh, cricket team. Um, But uh, I I don't really see what what else they can do um, other than just try to ensure that people like Andy Pilly don't come into football in the future. Mm. <clears throat> We're recording this a Wednesday evening, Kieran. I'm I'm going to get an early night just so I'm up because uh, half ten in the morning is quite early for me. But I'm going to be there to see what happens when the Australian players arrive at Headingley. Um, <laughs> I, I I hope to God, Kieran, that this is the last time we ever have to say these two clubs' names in the same sentence: Cardiff and Nantes. Yes, um, Cardiff have now been told the, by by FIFA that they have to pay the remaining two instalments of the transfer fee in relation to the, the sadly deceased Emiliano Sala uh, to Nantes. Uh, yeah, that, that transfer went through a couple of years ago. That There was an initial payment, I think, of €6 million, Euro, and then there was two further payments, uh, totalling €11 million. Euro. And, and you know, we, we've established and we've often discussed that football is very much uh, an instalment sport these days. Um, Cardiff initially refused to pay the initial amount, saying that, in their opinion, the player wasn't theirs. That became quite a, an, an unpleasant legal argument. Um, Cardiff lost that. They have. Uh, they then were late in paying on the due date to Nantes, so that triggered um, a reaction from the EFL uh, in terms of sanctions. Um, and now we, we've got this this situation uh, where they've been obliged to pay. We don't. I don't know the dates for that. At the same time, um, Cardiff have pointed out that some of the officials of Nantes. Um, have themselves been uh, arrested or interviewed by the police with regards to um, misfeasance uh, or alleged misfeasance, which which doesn't reflect well potentially on that club, although the, I think the two things are independent. And they are also putting through a claim in the French court system um, effectively for damages by saying, well, if Emiliano Sala had arrived, he would have scored the goals, which would have helped them to avoid relegation from the Premier League in that particular season. And therefore, you know, they, they've lost out on you know, a minimum of one year's worth, one further year's worth of uh, Premier League money, um, as well as, uh, you know, a more a further year of parachute payments. Mm. So uh, what's going to happen here? A, it's going to long, get it, take a long time. B, it's, it's going to look grubby because there's still a family grieving. Um, and see, the lawyers are going to win. Well, that's it, Kieran. Isn't it? I mean, the lawyers always win, but every single time it, it's it's on the news or in the newspaper that family, their opportunity to rest 
and, and grieve properly is put back again as well. So it's just, it needs to be resolved. It really does. Uh, some Leicester City fans, Kieran, may have argued that their club wasn't that competitive on the pitch in the season that's just finished. But it, it seems like they were trying to be not competitive off the pitch as well. In news that literally came in 30 minutes before we started the pod. Yes, um, Leicester have been fined £880,000 by the uh, Competition and Market Authority, which is what we remember as the Monopolies and Mergers Competition. Mm. And and this is on the back of being accused of uh, effectively operating a cartel. And a cartel is where you've got two or more organisations which work in concert with another to uh, make things worse for consumers. And the other party here is JD Sports. And uh, I I believe that JD Sports used to have an offer whereby if you spent more than £70 on anything, you got free shipping. And uh, the trouble was, if if you did that potentially and you bought some Leicester City kit, it worked out cheaper than buying it from the club itself. So therefore, um, the two parties appeared to have come to to some form of agreement that the Leicester City was excluded from this particular arrangement. Um, And and that was deemed to be to the detriment um, of consumers. And and it's got to be said that um, in terms of what we're seeing, in terms of of the prices of kits, is is eye-watering this season. Uh, Bournemouth announced their kits... Um, last week, I think they've gone up twenty to twenty-five yeah. percent. I think, as Bournemouth kits go, I think it looked really good. Yeah, you know, which was a shame. Um, I've, I've, I was looking at uh, I was looking at the kits of of Spurs, and uh, you know the range of kits that you can now have. You've got you've got your your three uh, you know, your, your three match day shirts in, in different flavors in terms of uh, uh, cost. But then you've got the drill top, the warm-up top, the training top, and you can have an elite drill. I don't know what a drill top is. I thought that was something you get from B and Q, but yeah, you know, it, it look, doesn't seem to um, doesn't seem to make sense. But if you want an elite drill top, whatever that is, one hundred and ten sheets for for something which is going to be out of fashion in twelve months. And I've got to be honest, it's, it's not of particularly high quality because it's you know stuff that just that they churn out. So I, I think. Uh, you know, regardless of of the CMA investigation into uh, Leicester, the, the the price of football kits this season has has reached uh, incredible levels. Well, I mean, Bournemouth fans as well are paying more for tickets as well as yeah. kits this season. But I mean, the thing is, you could, you could spend three hundred quid on your elite drill top. You could walk into Porsons, no one in that pub is going to look up and go, "Hello, hello." Kev <laughs> yes. seems to be wearing the elite drill top. <laughs> just, just look at them guys. Too small for you, mate. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by some breaking news from Manscaped. They are revolutionising men's grooming once again with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look like never before. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your curtains match your carpet. And you could do that by going to manscaped.com and using code PRICEOFFOOTBALL for 20% off and free shipping. The Beard Hedger Cordless Trimmer 
has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair-cutting lengths, all with one guard. Plus, it's waterproof, so you can use it and shave yourself in the shower to avoid all of that hair in the sink. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency. The Pro Kit doesn't end there, though. It includes beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, beard balm, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. Uh, the beard balm. Oh, it smells lovely. <laughs> you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFOOTBALL. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. In, in the scheme of things, Kieran, this £800,000 fine, is that a lot of money or is that a slap on the wrist type amount of money? I, it, it's symbolic. It's the maximum amount that oh, okay, uh, the right. CMA could fine Leicester. So I don't think it reflects well um, on governance. Um, you know, the fact that nobody wants to think that their club has been colluding with another organisation to ensure that fans are effectively out of pocket. And, and I think that's the thing that will um, upset uh, Leicester City fans most of all. I mean, yeah, they, as usual, you would expect, you see on social media, some fairly waspish com- comments on the lines of, well, they didn't appear interested in wearing the kit last season anyway. So uh, yeah, it just it just sort of adds fuel to the fire that the fans were being uh, ripped off. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's not good. I, I'd love to have more... Yeah, I started. I started off saying I was irritatingly cheerful, and you rightly predicted that within <laughs> within twenty minutes it would wear me down, and it has done. Also, can you imagine in thirty years' time there being a nostalgia market for the twenty three twenty four elite drill top? <laughs> yes. Oh, he's got that one with the twenty twenty three. It's really tight, and you can only just see the sponsor's name. What happened to that sponsor? They went bankrupt when we got relegated to the National League. Remember? Oh, happy days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We've talked a lot about the multi-club ownership model, Kieran, Mm. and we've talked about theoretical conflicts of interest, but um, a Premier League club, uh, it's no longer theoretical, is it? No, um, and and it could affect another club, I suspect, uh, but we'll have to wait and see there. So this is is Aston Villa. Um, The owners of Aston Villa, uh, Wes Edens and and Naz Sawiris, they they owned 45% of uh, the Portuguese club, and my pronunciation's a bit bobbins, uh, Victoria de Guimarães. Um, 
And as under uh, UEFA rules, if you have significant influence over more than two clubs, and significant influence is, is deemed to be 30% or more, although I think the EFL um, for their clubs are saying mm. it's 25%, but that's, that's a separate issue. Um, but because of this, uh, the, the owners have had to reduce their their stake uh, in this Portuguese club from 45 to 29, i.e. just below the threshold. Um, they've, they've also had to withdraw uh, common directors because both clubs are playing in the Europa Conference mm. in 23-24, which therefore brings into, uh, brings into focus uh, Brighton Hove Albion and Union Saint Galois, who are are both owned by by Tony Bloom. Now Tony Bloom says he's not involved on a day to day basis, and, and by all accounts he isn't, and it's it's run by somebody else. Um, but both of those clubs are in the Europa League uh, mm. next season, so I think that's a case of if they get a call from UEFA, how how do they respond? Uh, you know what would happen to to the investment there? We we have to wait and see. But this this overall issue of multi club ownership and integrity of the sport is only going to grow and grow. Um, we've got these competitions operating within Europe itself. We've got more and more owners taking a multi club model, and then. If they they say, well, okay, we're not going to buy clubs in Europe, we're going to buy clubs in other continents, what's going to happen when FIFA's 32 club, FIFA World Cup of clubs kicks in in the USA in, in 2025? It all starts to get um, a bit messy and a bit Machiavellian if if there is uh, yeah, the opportunity for to have influence over more than one club because we we don't want what we remember from one or two World Cups when uh, results uh, gave the impression of not being uh, particularly sporting in nature. Yeah, West Germany, Austria is yeah, one exactly. in particular. Yeah. Argentina, Peru mm. as well. Um, uh, far be it for me to, to criticise any aspect of Brighton and Hove Albion, Kieran, and the impeccable, nay saintly way in which they are run, obviously, with the uh, collusion of the Premier League and their uh, cheating fixture list. Uh, but Tony Bloom, it, it's kind of disingenuous, regardless of whether what role you play on a day-to-day basis. If you part own both clubs, your role on a day-to-day basis is academic, isn't it? Really? Well, I think I think there is a case for for investigating that. Um, and, yes, you know, absolutely. Yes, I agree. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've got mates in Interpol. Get them on the line. Right. I'm very. Uh, what's his stake in in Sangola? I th- I think he is the majority owner. Okay, um, right. And and yeah, you know, again for the sake of transparency, that there have been quite a few transfers um, and loan deals between the two clubs because mm. when Brighton so- signed Mitoma for for two and a half million, um, just what about eighteen months ago, the first thing they did was that they they sent him to to Saint Galois to get some experience of of European football. Um, and then he came to to Brighton to uh, tear up the league uh, this last season. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Kieran, it just makes me even more proud of being a Palace fan, the, the way my club maintains its integrity in this sort of situation by refusing to qualify for Europe. I think that's... I think it's a remarkable gesture on our part. Um, two stories involving the Premier League here, and the second of which is the one I'm really interested to explore... 
The first of which basically is confirmation of something you predicted on the questions pod a couple of weeks ago about live TV coverage of every Sunday game. Yes. Um, by all accounts, uh, what we will be seeing is an expanded uh, deal from the Premier League. At present, of the 380 matches which take place in a season, um, 200 are sold to broadcasters. But what we have seen in recent years is that as a result of the Europa League and the Europa Conference taking place on a Thursday night, we've got often two or three matches, if, if not more, taking place on a Sunday afternoon, and those are not being broadcast. Um, what I suspect will happen, um, that the Premier League will aim to, to sell these particular rights um, to domestic broadcasters. And then, because, you know, and I absolutely understand this from, from the perspective of Sky or, or TNT Sport, or uh, as it's currently known, or, and, and we could have new players in the market, um, you know, they don't want to cannibalise themselves unless they have to. So expect to see a midday kickoff, a 2pm kickoff, a 4.30 kickoff, and a 7pm kickoff, which is great for broadcasters. I've got to be honest, you know, if, that, if you're that way inclined, it's, it's great for viewers. You can effectively yeah, yeah. just strap yourself into the sofa um, uh, and watch football for as many hours as, as you so desire. Um, the interests of fans, I don't think, would be uh, high on the list of considerations as far as uh, the people negotiating, because they, they just want to maximise maximize the dollar. Mm. This next story, Kieran, whether it's to do with uh, cricketing shenanigans, whether it's to do with uh, tennis, I don't know, but it's been so far barely covered in the media. But I, I sense that this is a huge story in the making. Uh, basically, it involves the FA's international media rights and the Premier League. Yes. So this was originally broken by Sports Business and it was also picked up by The Times. Um, and they they both uh, discussed this on the Tuesday night. Now, what appears to be the case is if these stories are true, you know, and what we've got at present is a degree of supposition, but you know, the, the journalists involved um, from The Times are pretty senior and also the sports business guys, they, they've been in contact just to confirm bits and pieces as well. So you know, they, they wouldn't put these stories out un unless they had um, some degree of, of traction. Um, the FA's uh, international rights have been sold and, and they've been generating around about £100 million a year. So they, they, they bring in decent money. And, and there's no doubt that the FA needs money uh, in order to support grassroots football, to, to support the England team, the Lionesses and so on. And, and that is, is great. Um, but uh, what appears to be the case is the Premier League has come in and said, tell you what, we'll look after the rights for you and we'll, we'll effectively guarantee you some form of sum. Um, now, this isn't this isn't the same as a bribe because of course uh, the the FA for people that don't know the FA do have a golden share in the Premier League so it's it's not a bribe or anything like that before people start uh, you know tapping noses and uh, uh, you know get, getting a bit giddy about that um, but it it does mean that the Premier League to a certain extent will have control over the FA 
in terms of its most prestigious competition. Mm. And there is no doubt that there are some clubs, I'm not accusing this of all clubs, there are some clubs in the Premier League who find the FA Cup as a bit of a bind. Um, yes, they'd like to win it, but they don't want any disruptions to uh, the amount their opportunities to compete in other European competitions to tie up time where they'd rather be doing pre-season tours, which are more lucrative and so on. And and my fear would be that with the except from, from again, we, we, we have a friend who we refer to as the secret broadcaster. Yeah. And yeah, the secret broadcaster was saying, well, yeah, this is how I potentially could see it going. Um, You'll keep the third round on a Saturday because even the Premier League doesn't have the chutzpah to say one of the things which is so traditional in football is we're simply just going to cancel it. But um, no replays beyond the third round and the rest of the FA Cup becomes a midweek competition freeing up um, Saturdays uh, and Sundays uh, that means you can have a more condensed Premier League competition, which uh, you know, a more condensed Premier League competition means that there's the opportunity to uh, have a bigger pre-season, bigger post-season, uh, and for these clubs to make more money. And if that is the case, um, you know, could we therefore see the the EFL's international rights potentially going the same way? Now, there's. There's a lot to be said for the, you know, the Premier League going into uh, global markets and saying, look, we can offer you the whole of English football. How much are you prepared to pay for it? And if that is the case and the money is fairly distributed, then it could be a winner. But it's that last part of that last sentence which which would give me cause for concern. Um, so, yeah, the, the Premier League is creating potentially here a dependency culture on the FA to the Premier League, which will weaken the FA's position. And I've got to be honest, the FA at times has come across as being quite weak in terms of resistance to to the, the juggernaut that is the Premier League. It turns out, Kieran, that I have such a soft, gentle, dainty nose that you couldn't hear it even when I was tapping it furiously. Uh, <laughs> it, this starts with, does this include the rights to England games as well? Or is it just FA Cup? Do we know? No, no, this this would be the, the FA Cup, um, as far as I'm oh. aware. The, the international rights, there tend to be separate deals okay. arranged with FIFA and so on. Um, so I uh, and and they also uh, because of the crown jewels rules, you know, the, the, they tend to be dominated by the terrestrial broadcasters, although you know, what's going to be left of BBC and ITV uh, in a few years. Who knows? Also, a couple of questions, Kieran, that have raised from, as you say, talking to our secret broadcaster and one or two other people in the game who have been in contact with us about this is, first of all, Kieran, should there not have been a bidding process for this? Should this not have gone out to tender? And has it been rushed through before an independent regulator can say, hang on a second, this doesn't look right? Well, I, th- I think you've raised a really good point here. Um, from what I've been told was that there will be a the equivalent of a, a nominal uh, tender process right. just to go through due legal. But the part, the, the other parties involved know that they're effectively not going to be in, in the room. Um, and, 
therefore, yeah, I, th- I think the other parties just won't bother. Yeah, what? Why? Yeah. If if, you, if it's a stitch up as as it is perceived to be, and again, we're going here from people that who have contacted us in in the last twenty four hours to raise their concerns. And if, if you read the article uh, in the Times and in Sports Business, you know, there, there appears to be a degree of consternation. Uh, in terms of the ever increasing concentration of power um, within uh, within football in this country, um, so yeah, it's it, it's it's a funny one. Um, uh, you know, uh, as as one of my lecturers when I started to to learn about the world of finance uh, said to me, uh, if ever you're in doubt about something and it looks a bit strange, it comes down to two things: power and money. Well, I share that consternation, Kieran, because it. it- it does look to me like one more step towards the Premier League basically running all of football, doesn't it? I mean, it certainly sidelines the FA to a, a huge degree, it seems to me. Yes, you're absolutely right. And, of course, it would be really beneficial um, if the the Premier League has this signed, sealed and delivered before the independent regulator arrives because, effectively, the regulator uh, is, is having to deal with uh, contracts which are, uh, you know, cast iron and and can't be can't be changed yeah uh, i can't comment kieran on the tightness or otherwise of nottingham forest and leeds united's uh, training wear um but both of them have new sponsors for it yes and i, I think we, we just raised this because um i think it's eon who are doing this but uh what we are seeing more and more and again you can understand it from the point of view of the club is that they are having separate deals for front of shirt, shirt sleeve, and now training kit. And certainly the likes of Manchester United and Chelsea and Liverpool have had very, very lucrative deals in recent years. And that appears to be extended to to a much broader market. Nottingham Forest went through last season not having a front of shirt sponsor Mm. uh, because from, again, from what you hear and from what you get whispered, um, I think they were they they'd said their the minimum price that they'd accept was more than the maximum price that anybody was prepared to pay. Um, so yeah, both Forest and, and Leeds have, have now signed up, um, and that still gives Forest some flexibility with regards to front of spurters. Front of spurt, front of shirt. Um, <laughs> we're, we're back to our friends of Manscaped there. Um, but um, Leeds, I think Leeds have signed a, a front of shirt deal as well. This is an interesting one, Kieran. Canada Soccer have applied for a $5 million interest-free loan from FIFA. Yes. Um, I think it's fair to say that Canada Soccer is in a bit of a mess. You've got the MLS in uh, the, the USA, which is pretty successful. You know, clubs, uh, you know, clubs tend to do more than break even. Uh, the crowds are decent. The TV deal, modest by uh, Premier League standards, but but then so is everything. Um, but because they've got pretty tight cost control, uh, you know, the, the clubs are able to to operate pretty decently. In Canada, um, it's. It's a sport, I still think, which is in, in is in seeking a bit of love from an audience, from the authorities. Um, there's been disputes between uh, the, the the men's team and, and the authorities. Um, and what Canada 
Soccer have now said uh, is that it's great that we are hosting or co-hosting the 2026 Expanded World Cup. One of the consequences of that is that Canada automatically qualify for the competition, Mm. which means that they've not got the CONCACAF um, qualifying rounds to go through. And therefore, how are they going to make any money? Because they're not hosting games. And they, it would now appear that they've not even got enough money to offer to get people to go and play them in Canada. And that's why they've had to go cap in hand to FIFA. So FIFA um, under FIFA is many, many schemes, some of which are, are very, very meritous and, and, and deserve respect. You know, I, I give FIFA criticism at times and, and I feel that that's warranted, but uh, I also acknowledge that FIFA do an awful lot of good. Um, and you are allowed a maximum loan of five million pounds, five million dollars, which would be interest free. Um, but it can't be used just to pay players. Um, right. So, so we'll have to look out. I mean, Canada Soccer lost six million dollars in twenty twenty two, so its its finances are precarious. Um, there doesn't appear to be a lot of government interest uh, in terms of supporting the sport because it's you know, it's, it's not a, a national sport as such, uh, and uh, the, the the sports authorities again governance there isn't brilliant, uh, and and it appears to be struggling because we saw the very strange situation last year, Kieran, where the. Canada men's team uh, threatened to go on strike because they weren't being paid as much money as the Canada women's team. Well, well, yes, and, and we've got the Women's World Cup taking place yeah. in, in in a couple of weeks, and uh, Canada have qualified for that competition. And again, you know, some of the funding is required for uh, for for the Canadian women's team, and, and I think their first their first opponents Nigeria. Uh, the men's team seems to have fallen behind, and and this this is a function of. We have had an exp- yeah we've we've had a, a decent sized World Cup in terms of the number of teams qualified. But if you don't qualify, you you really do drop off the radar, um, both domestically and internationally. We talk often, Kieran, on the pod about a story that starts as a pebble um, and ends a year later in an avalanche. And as a Palace fan, I'm slightly worried that this story, which was a pebble just a couple of weeks ago, has now been upgraded, shall we say, maybe to a, a small stone. And it's a story yes. about one of our co-owners. Yes, this is to do with uh, Leon. Now, Leon were acquired by John Texter's Eagle Football Group in December 2022. And um, as far as French football is concerned, that they, they like... Uh, they like administration now. By administration, not administrators being appointed, but they, they, the French like a bit of civil service style work. Now, there's a bit of Terry Collier uh, to, to throw into the <laughs> equation because they have, and this is this, this is about as French as it gets. The the National Management Control Department for football, and that's that's a proper official 1970s yeah. style sounding uh, organisation. You don't you don't mess with the people from the National Management Control Department. And their aim is to investigate football clubs to ensure that they have the means and the resources to com- complete the the following season. And uh, that's great, you know, because we nobody wants to lose a football club halfway through the season. Of course not. And and what they can also do is that if they feel that a club has not demonstrated to them that it has 
sufficient resources. Then they have the power to block transfers, to cap wages. There's been talk about Christian Pulisic going from Chelsea to Lyon, and that deal now appears to be sort of scuppered um, as a result of this investigation. Um, John Texter, as as you know, also owns uh, Molenbeek uh, in Belgium, uh, Botafogo in Brazil, and of course he's a part owner of Crystal Palace. And he he's, he's sent documents to the National Management Control Department, but I don't think that they're, they're happy enough. Um, so there's a bit of a standoff. Um, and now there is talk about... John Texter, who would appear to be sometimes we use this phrase, uh, this phrase, asset rich, cash poor. Yeah. I.e., you you own things, but that doesn't necessarily mean you got money in a bank account. Um, and there has been talk about him transferring some of his um, share assets into Lyon um, in order to satisfy the the French regulator. But that just seems. Very odd. You end up with a Brazilian, a Belgian, and part of Crystal Palace being owned by a French football club, and it it just seems to be a bit uneasy. So I can understand. Yeah, I think we are in we are we are beyond pebble, um, uh, certainly. But how this is going to expand um, is is open to question, and it's and it's one of those things which which is frustrating because. Uh, yeah, again, you know, whether you're a supporter of South End or Palace, whoever, you're focusing on the fixtures, you're wondering who you're going to sign, you're looking forward to this, that, and the other, um, and you've got this sort of this this nagging itch that uh, things aren't as good as you would want them to be as far as ownership is concerned. And you know, as an outsider, you know, it, you've not got people rowing in the same direction. You know, in my observation. If John Texter fails to satisfy the uh, French football financial watchdog, as I'm going to call it, what sanctions would they have on him? On him, ultimately, he's a US citizen. So ah, you know, okay. there, there's, there's a limit to what they can do. What they can do is, is effectively sanction the, the club that he that he runs in terms of saying, well, you, you can't, you, we'll give you a transfer embargo. Right, okay. we will, we'll operate a pretty uh, severe wage cap. And of course, that has implications for the club. I think it finished seventh last season yeah. um, in uh, in the French top division, um, which, yeah, all of which is is not, not good for football. You know, we... we We've said on so many occasions that we should be taking two months off in in June and July, and the the shows are longer than ever. Yeah, Uh, we are going to have to take a break at some stage in July, Kieran, because you'll have a nervous breakdown otherwise, like like Oliver Hardy when he is driven mad by testing car horns all day and has to have a a two week break at sea, which doesn't end up well. Would you believe? But there will be pods. We're not going to leave you without pods. Don't worry. We're, we're, uh, our first Nostalgia Pod special will be coming up during our July break, including an interview with uh, James Brown, who's uh, Mr. Mister 90s. So that'll give you a clue as to what year we're yes. talking about. <laughs> our last two stories, Kieran, I think both parties involved in these stories would agree they are operating at different ends of the football spectrum. Um, and the first one is Mr. CR7 himself. Yes. Um, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Um, apparently he's on somewhere in the region of £180 million a year uh, to play football in Saudi Arabia. I say... 
good luck. Yeah, I, I will, I've always defended whatever a football player is paid, whatever somebody's or an, an employer is willing to pay, you take it. So I have no issue with that. You would therefore think that he is in no need of additional coin, but he is signing up for the GOAT range. And the thing about Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't think he's necessarily done this for money. He's done it for vanity because yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've told you a couple of stories about his vanity um, off air. And uh, that means that, unfortunately, we've got the Cristiano Ronaldo range of non-fungible tokens, um, which will bring you, of course, intangible benefits. Uh, another word for intangible is invisible. Um <laughs> Yeah. And uh, you might say, well, well you know, he's, he's going to promote these. He's got one of the biggest social media profiles uh, in the world. And he is uh, partnering with our very good friends at Binface, um, and uh, also known as Binance. Um, and <laughs> for people not familiar with Binface, stroke Binance, um, they are a crypto exchange now, um, you you might struggle in this country because the Financial Conduct Authority has restricted what they can do. Um, they've had to set up a separate company in the USA away from Binance itself because the US regulatory authorities are unhappy about them. And they said, well, you, you cannot trade in dollars in the United States. There's further restrictions in Japan and in Ontario and Singapore. Um, and you go, well, you know, if if all of this is just a little bit of you know football fun, why are these uh, financial authorities taking such a severe line um, with Binance? Um, uh, and it's it's difficult to work it out. Um, we've already seen uh, them effectively tweeting, you know, if you if you like uh, if if you like and follow us and Cristiano Ronaldo and retweet this, we're going to put you in for a free draw. For I think there's there's normal NFTs, there's rare NFTs for Cristiano Ronaldo, and then there's ultra rare as well. And I've always said if people want to collect the the equivalent of a digital Panini card, go along, enjoy, fill your boots, have some fun. It's not an investment. Mm. And that's what you really have to to watch out for. I understand people get suckered into it. And in order to be suckered into it, you need to be a sucker. Mm. Uh, Kieran, this is not a sentence I ever thought I'd ever utter in my life. But in order to avoid another public apology to Count Binface, can we make clear that there is no connection at all between the company Binance and the estimable is also a Palace fan. Uh, oh, is he? Yes. Count, Count, let's make that clear, Kieran. There's no relation yes. between Binance and Count Binface, who is a good friend of the pod. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We have no idea what he looks like, but he is a good friend of the pod. And as I say, apparently a, a Palace fan. If, if we started the pod, Kieran, talking about Ray Winston not wanting to be a director, but if any of our listeners uh, do fancy that job, there's a club that might be asking them to to try their luck. Yes, this is this is very weird. Um, it's to do Kira, with Kira, We've we've just had to apologise to Count Binface live on air. You can't get much more weird than that. <laughs> That's true. Yes, I, I've I've never seen a football club uh, advertise on its website for somebody to come in and run it. <laughs> 
And that's effectively yeah, that is what we are seeing <laughs> from um, the uh, recently acquired, um, recently relegated on more than one occasion, Scunthorpe United, and uh, who are not on the coast, by the way, for anybody that's uh, not great on geography. Um, but uh, th- this is because they currently have only one director, who is the owner. Um, I don't know what's happened to the finance director since the, the acquisition, but uh, but the accounts are late. Um, and, you know, I've got my list of red flags. Well, th- mm. this is one of them. Uh, you would have thought if the new owners come in, we'll have tidied up the books. Uh, for P- Peter Swan, who was the former owner, who is, I believe, still owns the ground, but I think he's locked out of the stadium that he owns. It's all, it, it's all sort of just just surreal mm. and doesn't seem to make any sense um and if if the accounts are late does that mean that there's going to be sanctions employed by the national league but the club's only got one director it's advertising for new directors and it says you, know, you gives you an opportunity to get involved in decision making at the club and that's great um I personally would want professional directors to do that job, you know, and the danger is, and this is not a criticism because I'm sure there are some absolutely fantastic, well, there are some absolutely fantastic people. So, because um, I think it's fair to say that quite a few of them have been in contact with us uh, in the last 24 to 48 hours to say, we don't feel particularly comfortable with this. Um, There are other outstanding issues in respect of the club, which I don't think it's appropriate to discuss on the podcast at Mm -hmm. present. Um, Why, why on earth, would you just advertise for a director? You want people who are used to being a chief executive, used to being decision-making process, used to both producing budgets and understanding budgets, uh, know how to market and so on, and uh, a sort of a, a come and get me plea um, from from the club just doesn't stand particularly easy with me. Now, I hope that they get some absolutely fantastic applicants and the club goes from strength to strength. But it's it's a strange way to behave. Does this advert, Kieran, as a matter of interest, imply that if you do become a director, you have to put some money into the club as well, or, or is this kind of a, a glorified volunteer role? No, no. There's there's no evidence of of being a shareholder. We right. have shareholders normally putting it, um, or to put in director loans. Although I know a few people in football who who joined clubs as directors because you know they were in the legal profession or the finance profession and it was their club. And they said, well, we were quite flattered at first. And then six months later, the chairman comes along and says, yeah, any chance of 50 grand? Yeah, uh, yeah. And so, so, but there's, there's, there's nothing to say that that would be the case at Scunthorpe. Um, but it, it's, it's an unusual way to go about things. Mm. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind of you. And you can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We should be back on Monday with our weekly questions pod. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you to everybody for Patreon, for supporting the show, and for all of those people. Uh, my uh, my inbox, um, both email 
and uh, direct messages on Twitter uh, is is full to overfloweth. Um, but I appreciate all, all the good sentiments. And I do try to, to answer as many as I can. Uh, but I, I do actually have 1,500 unanswered emails at present uh, in, in respect of football issues, which uh, <laughs> is, is, is challenging, um, as, as well as divorce impending, if I'm not too careful. So I, I, need, I need to get the balance right, and I'm fully aware of that. Baroness is very good to me. Um, there's, there's another way, however, that you could support the podcast and and that's to to give us a review. Um, I think we're up to number fifteen uh, in the in the sports charts yeah. on, on Apple uh, last week, which we're absolutely amazed about, and and we're we're delighted that you seem to enjoy the show, and we 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 genuinely put a lot of effort into, and and on, honestly, I love it to bits as well. Um, but by all accounts, it doesn't matter what you say as far as your review is concerned. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by Ted Hastings of AC12 and <laughs> Woody Woodpecker as well. Uh, poor old Woody, he'd, be get, he'd get banged up by 15 minutes in for something he didn't do, wouldn't he? That'd be terrible. I've just worked out as well, Kieran, that between us we have over 1,500 unanswered questions in our email box. <laughs> yes. <laughs> bye, bye. everybody. Bye. <laughs> I'm for the